0: This is client side from Fox Agency. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay now. From the beginning. John Smith is the executive vice president for ecosystem at Zafin. He is responsible for the strategic and tactical management of the company's ecosystem, including the creation of new business models to support growth and differentiation. He has a proven track record of building partnerships and alliances as part of a symbiotic ecosystem for financial services. John Smith, welcome to ClientSide. Yeah, Nathan, I really appreciate your time today and it's lovely to be with you. We're super excited to have you on the show. Thank you very much for doing this. We, We have to start at the beginning because as we slowly start to emerge from these imposed lockdowns that we've, that we've all been experiencing over the last 12 months, let's start with a description of what the key priorities and challenges are of the traditional incumbent banks as you see it as we sit here in August
1: 2021. Yeah, yeah, sure, Nathan. To be fair, I really believe that the challenges haven't changed much from pre-COVID, but COVID's accelerated some of these and made it more important. You know it's always been the banks and the incumbent ones especially that have bricks and mortars have struggled with top line growth, and that's you know a lot of that's to do with the challenges from new fintechs entering the market, the fact that they have to have higher cash reserves and in that space are limited by the fact they have quite large assets, which can be a blessing or a curse depending on you know how you look at it at the same time you know another another key area is cost reduction or bottom line growth strategies where banks are looking to not spend um, you know, on any sort of initiative unless it can deliver payback within a year. And we're seeing that quite clearly in the market. Some of the larger core modernization type projects that they would have done before are really being parked at the behest of looking at something that makes a very quick payback for the bank. Hmm. Uh, and obviously Zafin in that space have a lot of offerings that meet that type of uh, bottom line growth strategy. The other key piece that's linked to both top and bottom line growth strategies is is the cost to income ratio, and and that's where that's where banks that are, in you know you know are in that place where they have significant asset or bricks and mortar retail estates, branch estates. There's a lot to do there because cost to income ratios of those type of banks are significantly higher than some of the new digital startups, which just do not have that branch infrastructure. You know, typically digital only. So there's significant drive to try to lower cost to income ratio and modernize branch with a value on customer experience and, and change the way the branch is delivering. Mm. So you're seeing that in the press at the moment with a number of the banks shutting down many, many branches, focusing on larger branches with customer experience. And if we look to an example in the UK, look at someone like Metro, who Although their cost to income ratio is significantly high, they've really tried to change the customer experience, longer opening times, looking at how they service the client in bank, and I think we're going to see a lot of change around that 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 sort of piece as well.
0: And you would assume that a lot of these changes have been accelerated over the last twelve months because of the pandemic. You know, reducing cost to income ratio, focusing on customer experience. Obviously, none of us had access to the bricks and mortar physical banks over the last 12 months, we were all stuck in our homes and in our bedrooms. Um, So that accelerated the adoption of digital, accelerated the adoption of sort of increasing the customer experience for the traditional incumbent banks. Talk a little bit about the impact COVID-19 has had on modernization of banks.
1: Well, it's significant. So twofold, so let me give you a a story of, uh, well, it's not just one bank, it's a number of banks. Let me talk about a theme. So. A theme we've seen in this space is, you know, uh, incumbent traditional bricks and mortar banks and the larger ones. A significant proportion of those are built on legacy architecture, and 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 a lot of those are the IBM Z platform, which is the mainframe platform. If, if for people that would know it under that name, but IBM Z is the sort of brand that, as a platform. The reason people don't move away from it is is it's a great platform for core banking but the problem with that is over the years because it's been running these very large banks for you know 1970s 1980s it was maybe even sort of you know 70s it was deployed and some of them even before that it was set up to do general ledger work and to run the core to be the account management system the system of records for the bank but over time it's had all the new features and functions put into it so it has product in it, it has today, you know, risk and compliance technology in it, it probably has some fraud and anti money laundering tech. So everything's been linked into it. And actually, what it means is you can't upgrade it very easily. So so it it was this really hyper efficient core, but actually, it's now doing all this mid tier architecture that the bank needs to modernise quickly. And the only Real way to, to modernize that is to externalize it. Mm. So what we're finding is the, the blessing of this really hyper-efficient platform that is IBM Z is actually sometimes for the banks the curse at the moment because they're trying to modernize. And actually what, what's happened with COVID is everyone's at home, everyone's using banking apps, digitalization has grown. We believe somewhere in, in a single year it's done five years of growth so that's the sort of statistics phenomenal. we're seeing in yeah which is a, a f- phenomenal but for the bank who is stuck in this legacy architecture that needs to modernize it can be very painful because actually they're bouncing at the top end of their scalability they can't sure. so they're getting downtime some of these banks because they can't fulfill the need of all the digitalization mm-hmm. that's coming so mm-hmm. the clients are using digital channels only not going to branch checking balances all the time transferring mm-hmm. money all the time and these things are meaning that, that some of the clients are just experiencing operational risk and downtime through that. So there, there's one one element where you know Zafin very much solves for, because we externalize a lot of the technical function out of the core that limits it and, and, and actually allows it to facilitate a change towards digital transformation. So we almost become the Product system of record for some of these banking clients, and that's something where we've we've seen uh, you know some of the use cases fulfilled. I think on the other side of that, you mentioned customer experience, um, and I would link that to new business models and, and and ecosystem of the future. The other thing the bank needs to do is it needs to it needs to quickly, and this is the incumbent bank, compete against fintechs and to protect against disruptors. How does it do that? It, externalization also fulfills that need because. You know, by externalizing some of these functions out, what it gives you is the ability to deliver new business models. And that could be embedded finance, could be decentralized finance with cryptocurrencies. Mm. You know, if you look at what Revolut would offer you in in sort of being able to trade Mm. gold, being able to trade stocks, being able to change the whole piece. That, those tradi- you know, imagine you could do that as a traditional bank on the back end of an, an IBM mainframe technology by using technologies like Zaffin to form an ecosystem of the future. And, and we're seeing that. And that spans both financial and non-financial products. So this is, this is where you know, getting hold of the product catalog that, that is linked into the existing legacy core and externalizing it is so critical to a bank's transformation towards a digital leader.
0: So you part answered my next question, really. I mean, tell us a more about, about Zafin. I mean, who, who are your typical clients? What problems do they have? And how do you help solve them? And I think you've already sort of answered some of them around the importance of being able to compete with the new fintech digital banks nowadays, the importance to modernize their infrastructure, to move in line with the way that consumers are sort of expecting their banking services to be delivered. Talk a little bit about who your typical clients are
1: the problems that they have and and how you typically solve them Sure sure and and I won't name them because we're we're very we're very sensitive but I will tell you the regions of the world they are referenceable but I just I I I'll, I'll talk about the general themes Nathan so sure. just to take a step back around what Zaffin does at a high level so so Zafin allows banks to build closer relationships with their client base and that's through executing product and pricing strategies which helps us serve existing customers and, and actually also attract new ones as well as deepening relationships that we have with the existing cu- customers within the bank so as a banking product and pricing offering it, it really allows cross sell upsell it allows you to widen the product portfolio that you're serving existing customers and give them cust- and, and really give them customer delight it allows increased efficiency so you can deploy those strategies within a matter of days rather than i talked about the legacy architecture that could take months if you've got a code on the back end of a legacy platform you've got to change all the coding and all the products we externalize that out and we become the system of record with with an interface that that can be launching new products new services in a matter of days rather than months so it's very important for share of wallet increase being able to upsell cross sell and really really being able to offer new products and services that compete with fintech.
0: Really fascinating.
1: It allows you to strengthen governance. So if you think of what's happening in Australia with DDO or C86 in Canada and and a number of these new, um, almost, how it's really governance and compliance around how did you sell the product to the client? So I I don't want to call it mis-selling, but it's thinking about, you know, did did that customer ask for that product at that time and why did you sell it to them? Mm-hmm. It's That sort of thing is coming in globally. So i just take those two, Didio and C86. The governance piece, being able to manage product information across the full lifecycle from ideation and ensuring consistency right the way through to if the product is retired and then new products are launched. So it's about consistency, transparency. It's about mitigating risk. That governance piece is built into our platform. So it's an execution model we have within there, and a rules base. So that's very important. That's a sort of a one of the, the sort of steel thread from you know, ideating the product right the way through to deploying it, executing it, and retiring it, or, 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 or keeping it in the in the product mix if it's if it's a good selling product. And then finally, the, the key piece that I probably talk most about in ecosystem. Is acceleration of digital transformation and within that specifically core modernization at the heart because what our product and and platform does very well for banks is as I said it allows a bank to decouple the complexity of some of the information within the core that really shouldn't be there and allows them to facilitate a much simpler modernization of the front-end digital channels but also being able to migrate to new cores take function out of the existing core move it to cloud so so we really de-risk and simplify the core and accelerate project payback Mm,
0: really fascinating
1: yeah thank you and if i if i look at some of the the clients we then as examples that we would deliver that for there are many but if i if i pick three so there's a very large bank in australia there are a number so i don't need to say too much there but (laughs) but um you know, in, in this challenge, we had a certain client there was losing customer market share to digital banks and fintechs. Mm. They had a significant, probably sort of way over 400 different retail products. So a lot of risk in that. How do you manage it? How do you sustain it and and ensure that you don't, you know, take high cost and uh, and and have high risk? They had this legacy core capacity issue that I talked about earlier around, you know, I'm hitting the ceiling of what my core can deliver without... Ex- you know, more cost to add to it. And the solution we delivered there was to deliver a product catalog, to define products, to put some pricing in for deposits, to look Mm. at the fees and the packages that we could deliver there and and a cross product layer that would, you know, really support customer experience, focusing very much on wellbeing. And the results there, we we moved from, you know, like I said, there's somewhere around sort of above three to 400 legacy deposit products and we've reduced it to, under 10. And we've then taken the 127 or so legacy lending structures and we've reduced them to under 10. So that is, you know, you're going 430 down to sort of less less than 20 mm. uh, products. Now, that simplification is is significant in in then how the bank can deliver new products and services, but also the cost of managing those is just, you know, really mitigated. So That's a significant story. What's also unique with that is they they kept their legacy core and actually they believe their legacy core now is as nimble as a fintech because Hmm. because we've been integrated onto the front of it. And that's a big case because many of these banks don't want to do a heart and lungs transplant. And that is what a core modernization is. If you are a top four, top 10 bank in your country. Sure. You know, it's a significant piece of work somewhere between three to six years. Most of them fail and they have significantly high costs, whereas actually we believe you can modernize in situ with a progressive modernization type piece. So that's that's one client I would I would sort of talk about. Another one is a European client based in you know, northern Europe, one of the probably the top 10 banks in Europe, and um, they were looking to deliver a share of wallet and profitability. Uh, because their customer share of wallet and profitability had stalled in market. Um, They needed to, you know, their pricing practices were inconsistent. They probably across sort of 18 countries globally, and they needed to bring that consistency back across many different countries so that they could reduce the amount of product and pricing teams and actually standardize their offering with tweaks for individual markets. Sure. Um, The solution we delivered there was a product catalog, Um, And then we also delivered rates and fees. And from that, they've been able to deliver just over 30 products now into a central repository, delivering sort of well over a million API calls a day. And the annual revenue uh, in terms of incremental revenue to the bank is well over 10 million euros. Uh, And that's just from a single line of business. And there's another two or three lines of business that we're starting to look at with them. So that just gives you a, a sort of a European flavor. And then if I flick across to the US, top 10 US bank, their, their their challenges were very much around, they had redundant core systems from buying different banks. So they had a numerous cores that were meaning that, you know, they couldn't serve their clients from a single, single pane of glass. And that was having costs Sure. to add a new single feature took them a significant amount of money in the, in the, you know, almost in the tens of millions and would take them sort of almost a year to do that. And that gave them limited capacity and inadequate business agility. So they couldn't really move as quickly or as nimbly as they wanted to. So the solution we put in there was externalized products and pricing from the legacy core. And we put a, we deployed a next gen core in partnership with a couple of different integrators. And Zafin was the bridge between the older legacy core and the new next generation core where it, we externalized product and pricing from both. Mm. So we became the system of record for all cores. And that meant that there was a single, you know, a single sort of modern platform for product and pricing the bank can use. What that gave them was reduced revenue leakage uh, on their corporate c- clients and, and the ability to sort of ensure that they actually charged for what was, what, you know, for what was being agreed by their different relationship managers strengthen the product governments, and help them with compliance, ensuring they were eliminating any fees or any sort of compliance risk. And just the first use case that that, that is on track at the moment it is anticipated to deliver somewhere between sort of 10 to 15 million dollars in incremental revenue and that's Amazing. annual annual revenue. So that just gives you a sort of picture of a few different clients we work with.
0: Really fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about what the banks have learned specifically from big tech. Love them, love them or hate them. They're now embedded in all of our lives in many, many ways. You know, everything from customer experience to branding, to the way that we feel about them, to their infrastructure, to cloud. Talk a little bit about what the big traditional banks have learned from the way that big tech has grown scaled modernized over the last few years
1: yeah sure nathan and and this is this is where it's interesting so if you looked at the top 20 banks you know over the last 10 years those top 20 banks have have grown by about 800 billion which is significant value if you look at the last 10 years and the top 20 tech firms it's three trillion Amazing. So, so you, you're talking at least sort Apple of, is two trillion of that. Yeah, yeah, I expect so. Yeah. I mean, it's just exactly. And, and that's, that's what the banks are facing. So 800 billion growth in the 10, you know, 10 years is, is significant, but almost sort of three and a bit times that three and a yeah. half times that growth in tech.
0: It's relative, and right? It's,
1: it's, it's significant. And it means that if you look at where all the threats are coming from for the banking sector, it's from tech. Mm. So what have they learned from it? I, I think a lot of them are trying to copy it in terms of you, you know CX and what they're doing on the digital side, mm. in terms of what they're launching from marketing, customer experience, in terms of how they adopt cloud. It's also interesting that some of the cloud vendors, and there are four main ones, two of them are very much focused on supporting the banks. The other two actually have banking licenses and or you we know, have ambitions to probably disrupt banks referring to apple and amazon maybe <laughs> I, won't naming any I, won't, I won't name any names i won't right. name any names but there, yeah there's there's probably we fours. know who they are <laughs> so so i know who i would place my business with if i was a bank i'd place my business with with a with an it vendor that has always supported the banking industry and not is looking to to you know, directly compete with with the banks now. I think banking is becoming a platform, and and um, we're seeing that with things like banking as a service, mm. a model you may have come across, embedded finance, mm. things like buy now pay later type vendors that are coming out there and and disrupting, uh, like Klarna and others that are coming into the into the market in that space sure. uh, and then and then decentralized finance so the ability DeFi. yeah the defi technologies so all of the cryptocurrencies but you know you're really talking about tokenization anything i can put a token on and, and sell or buy as an asset so in a lot of ways that that same for stocks and shares or you know anything can be tokenized including gold including whatever i'm i'm take a token i've i put a value against it can i trade it and bring it back and that's that's all related to pricing and to product management, which is sort of right in our domain of experience. So just on that, John, how seriously are the
0: big banks taking crypto, DeFi, you know, decentralized finance, essentially? How seriously are they taking it? Because in the early days, you know, it could be argued that a lot of the big banks you know, look through their noses at, at cryptocurrencies and and, and and the like. But it seems as though with big movers like JP Morgan and some of the big investment banks who are taking sort of crypto a lot more seriously in recent months, there seems to be a changed uh, sort of influence or emphasis on cryptos. Just talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, certainly. Well, I think it's just, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's a step change. So I was at IBM who were probably the the pioneer for blockchain. And blockchain is... It's a decentralized ledger that, that allows Bitcoin and other cryptos to be traded. So there are many flavors, Ripple, Ethereum, mm-hmm. Hyperledger is a industry standard. They all have slightly different use cases and they're deployed in slightly different ways. But blockchain is the underlying technology or technology family they will, they will support on. IBM had done a lot of work with blockchain, and actually, you know, funnily enough, uh, 2012, 2013, when I started seeing it really coming into the space, it was being really heavily pushed, and no one was adopting it. None of the banking vendors, and I think it's because it was this very much this push on peer to peer, like we're going to remove the middleman. The banks will be removed, and and what's actually happened is exactly what I thought would happen, which would be, you know. The banks will get into the use case and, and so will the disruptors. So, I think it's changed to a point now where the banks are really taking it seriously. It's come of age. It's come of age because technology has improved. Many, many different players are now in that market. It's accelerated. When it started, it was quite a slow technology. So, you couldn't trade significantly, but there'd be many, many versions of. Ripple Theory and Hyperledger all coming out. Each one makes improvements in performance and scalability and security and response times, all the non functional things you probably need to make it work. Mm. And I think now a number of industries have got behind it. So yeah, in terms of financial tech disruptors coming into the market, even people like Elon Musk coming in and trading big <laughs> amounts of it. And it's just got that market adoption now that the banks have said, if we don't get on this quickly. So what I'm seeing is if, if you looked at the number of what they would call themselves is digital assets, like digital asset specialists. So that's really where it sort of, you know, it, it comes in. So di- digital asset custody solutions is the sort of terminology a lot of people use. It's blows off the tongue. Yeah, it's 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 the ability to sort of you know securely lock down and trade digital assets and ensure that you know where they are and they don't because it's all about cryptography and if if you lose those keys you lose all the money because it, it's never paper it's never can be pulled out it's it, if that gets hacked that's it and it's gone sure. and and I think that, that security angle was never really solved before. But now with some of the new encryption and, and some of the scale that these vendors can get and the advent of public cloud really, really becoming you know, pervasive, I think it, 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 the time is now and, and a, a number of the large vendors are, are getting into that story. Some are um, buying in technologies from vendors and positioning. And, and again, this comes back to the core because if, if, a, if a bank has this, this has to integrate into the core. You think how you serve a client if I'm a large bank today, and, I, and you have a bank account, Nathan, with me, I have to be able to integrate your crypto assets or your digital assets mm. into the core. Sure. And if my core is legacy, how do I do that? And it's, again, it's that bridge. So so again, the fintechs who start up can do that more easily because they've greenfield, they can just solve for that use case. Mm. So this is why we've seen people like Revolut and other accounts and Monzo's and others, are, you know, coming into that space and trading it more easily. And actually, the, the you know, some of the banks are buying technology to do that. Others are building in these digital asset custody solution type technologies onto the side of the core. So it's a really interesting space. It's certainly something we're seeing more of. And, you know, it, I think it's a trend that will that will continue.
0: So you just mentioned private cloud there. There's been a lot of talk recently about the merits of public versus private cloud. What do you recommend for your clients and what factors go into that decision making process? Yeah, that's a really interesting
1: one as well. and, and i'm going to be a bore here but it's (laughs) really it's it's really non-functional i think if you if you think of things as like this iceberg piece you know we we, zaffin solve for product and pricing solutions but we also have a, a plethora of other benefits around simplification and digital transformation of the core that come with doing that that's that's our functional stuff that we do so we show you our functional piece but, but the reason the bank has a challenge to scale quickly and nimbly and towards cloud is the non-functional. It's like almost this iceberg at the top of the iceberg. What you're seeing is all the functional, the 20, 30% above the water. Beneath it, you've got this 80, 70, 80% of the, of the challenge, which is things like, okay, cost. How much does it cost? Data residency. Can I put it in the cloud? And if the cloud's in a different country, uh, is that compliant or does that meet regulations of the country I'm in? the security is it secure if i if i put my core banking asset the customer data out in the cloud whether it be private or public is that okay and i have to check that what about the performance how much can i scale if i've got a private cloud is there a ceiling if it's public cloud it's probably ceilingless but how much cost is there with that the scalability of the architecture you know exactly what i just sort of talked around and the agility of the architecture so it's like it, it, how quickly could I, can I turn it on with a credit card within a matter of hours, or is it that I've got to go and purchase it? And often, you know, agility is um, is interesting in banks because actually, you know, you could get on the cloud same day, but the, the purchasing cycle might take a number of months. So, all these things are important. I think to cap that, the very first thing I would always see is what's the definition. So, public cloud. I understand that. I think if you ask most people, they would understand that. But what is private cloud? Because private cloud could be quite simply an Amazon, a Google, an IBM, an Azure or an Ali or a Tencent providing a private area on public cloud. So like, a you know, that's private cloud. Or is it the bank has bought a load of infrastructure and they've put some sort of operating system for cloud like a Red Hat OpenShift or a VMware Tanzu or a Rancher? from, from SUSE, they've put that across it and that's the private cloud as a container layer. Or is it a mix of both and it becomes hybrid? I think everyone has a different view of what the terminology is. My, my view when you're asking me that question is the public cloud is out there with you know an Amazon or a Google. The private cloud is actually the bank's own private cloud. Sure. And I think with banking, we're seeing probably more of the secure assets being on premise, in the bank's data centers, delivered on a container-based layer, so using things like Kubernetes and, and Docker, versus maybe more of the front-end engagement systems, the digital tool systems, where the customer interacts, you and I go on our mobile devices and interact with the bank, that's that's more at the front-end mm. on some sort of serverless architecture in one of the cloud providers. So I think this mix of hybrid is is probably what we're seeing the most of. Uh, and we solve for both because Zafin is a SaaS platform and we're we're public cloud software as a service, but we also have a platform as a service offering that allows us to run on a mainframe, on an IBM Z platform, on an IBM power system, on an x86 server, on any type of Kubernetes cluster on-prem or in any public cloud. Mm. So we have we have real flexibility and optionality around how we deploy for cloud. Um, I think we, we leave it very much to customer choice and that's always going to be those... Those functional areas I I told you about around, you know, compliance regulation, security, performance, scalability and agility. So and uh, that's that. And I think that's important to have those conversations with the bank so that you you give them the optionality they require.
0: I have to ask and just last couple of questions before I let you go, but I have to ask about the future of Zafin as you see it. As you think about the next chapter in Zafin's evolution and, and sort of maturity, what do you think is the most effective next chapter in the business's evolution? What might that look like?
1: Interesting. I, I'll talk two areas, I suppose, on that or two themes maybe. I, I think Zafin are moving towards this end-to-end product lifecycle management platform and offering so that's from ideation to execution to retirement and the whole life cycle end to end of product management and, and what that would what that delivers for is the future of of finance and banking so embedded finance it allows us to go into new adjacent markets to deliver financial and non-financial products bring those back into banking you know deliver uh, to clients the ability to not just get your bank account but take your spotify and your other memberships into that and you know sell it non-financial and non-financial products look at things like financial well-being which is really important from a Mm. corporate social responsibility point of view but many many people now are, are becoming banked but do they have the money to live month to month probably not most people are only a month away from from you know really being in homelessness or being in poverty. And and that and that is something, you know, financial well-being that the banks have a duty of care around and governments have a duty of care around. So that financial well-being, I think, will be in there. And then analytics at the core. They would be sort of the themes that this end-to-end lifecycle management vision we have and, and actually it's not too far from a vision. We very much are moving in that direction. That's where I would see our sort of th- three- to five-year roadmap. And, and with that, you know, this... Uh, significant growth, which we also have planned. You know, how would we deliver that? It would be through leveraging the power of the ecosystem. It, you know, everything we've talked about today is around ecosystem. You know, the ability to leverage many different uh, products and services from many different v- vendors and federate that to clients for customer experience. Bring in other partner vendors to work with us for a certain set of use cases in a certain number of banks in a certain number of geos or even countries. Or even individual banks, depending on what they require. So very targeted offers, you know, both from a from a, a joint ecosystem provision into the bank, but also right to the bank's customer. End to end product lifecycle management, and and then how that 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 forms is on the basis of an ecosystem. So that sort of is the underlying foundation for things. And I think the other thing that we're, we're very clear on is is some of the simplification of our point solutions. So we have a platform but we also have some very strong point solutions that offer very targeted use cases for certain things so i'll give you an example although we're a product and pricing platform our offers and rewards technology is very good for loyalty well in many markets loyalty is a very important thing at the moment and actually there's lots of there's lots of uh, requirements for loyalty solutions so that can be very cut down and sold into a bank to offer And deliver for their requirements very quickly another one would be be our product catalog which can be used to facilitate core modernization and digital transformation where we're very much a leader so it's the simplification of the wider product set to deliver very common use cases that allows the bank to get very quick return on investment and deliver something that really is impactful in a short space of time really interesting
0: john thanks so much for being on the show i've got my last question that i really want to ask you but thank you for sort of shedding light on the the future of the financial services space and the the ecosystems that are really kind of transforming everyone's lives at the moment last question before i let you go you've had a fascinating career yourself working at you know hp agilisys uh, ibm and now and now zafin What advice do you give to other aspiring sort of technology entrepreneurs or technology sort of executives on how best to navigate their careers?
1: Yeah, be be in charge of your career. So so very much look at where you want to go and, and try to learn for that. Always make sure you technically understand the solution. So I've always believed that a really good exec and or a really senior manager or seller or consultant or what it should be, really know their their technology. I think in this market, and there's banking and technology we know is merging, for, for this market, if you're in a vertical, technology is now so integrated into all verticals, whether that's life sciences, banking or insurance, sort of technology needs to be part of what you know if you're going to deliver benefits for businesses. So I think really know your tech, really get underneath it really understand how it can be deployed strategically to drive change uh, for me also then then take some methodologies around process improvement and the reason I say that is one of the things we do at saphrin is is we run a lot in agile methodologies like scrum and that's really allowed us to to really really uh, in, increase the speed and pace of what we do mm. in in a, in a way that has taken us ahead of some of the competitors. I think that's really important. So take the best tips. I mean, another one would be Medic I talked to you about, but you know that's a mm. that's another hot topic for me at the moment. But look look at all the new uh, methodologies out there that you can employ as well and read up on them. Mm. That would be what I would say. And, and then also get good sponsors and good mentors in the business you're in. And often don't wait around for those people to come. Actually go out and find them. So make sure you've got the right people sponsoring you and the right people helping you grow your career and that has to come from you so uh Mm. it's it's easy to sit around and not do that but i think they would be the things i would say great place to end john thank you so much for doing this no worries nathan it's been a pleasure i really really enjoyed talking to you
0: if you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of ClientSide, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email Zoe at fox.agency. People that make the show possible are Zoe Woodward, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox, is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Barber. You've been listening to ClientSide from Fox Agency.
1: Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.